This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, April 5th, the fascist haircut edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm an editor at Slate, and I'm the father of Eliza, who's seven, and Leo, who is three and three quarters. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 15, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 17. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 15. Today on our show, we have a question from a mom who gets a lot of annoying inquiries about her daughter's heritage, and another who's worried that her son's preferred hairstyle will make him look like a fascist. Plus, as always, we're going to have triumphs and fails. We'll have recommendations. On Slate Plus today, we will be discussing the recent Easter holiday and what it means to us. Probably not what it means to some. Uh, First, let's do triumphs and fails. Rebecca, triumph or fail? I'm going to call a triumph this week. And I also want to say, you know, when your kids are as old as mine are, it's really hard to come on a show like this and and call the triumphs mine (laughs) anymore. I found myself really struggling with that because so much of what they do is really their decision. You know what I'm talking about? Um, But this one was sort of a combined one. So I'm comfortable saying that I had a role in it at least, but ultimately it was my kids. Um, Henry was home last week from D.C. for his spring break. He was home for a whole week. And even though he's just 16, it was very much like he was home from college on a break. Like we rarely saw him. And when he did, he was either with friends or his girlfriend. Like he was in and out of the house a lot. You know, he drives. So he was just kind of like, you know, he would take off and, and do things almost every night. He didn't have school the next day, of course. So he could have a lot of freedom and he had a really great time. And, you know, we did we did spend some time together, but he was really busy with his friends and that was all good. And on I don't know, the third or so night he was home, Teddy was at his dad's last week, is staying with at his dad's house. And I, Henry, we were having dinner with Henry and his girlfriend. And I said to Henry, you know, it would be really nice if you could carve out some time to spend with just your brother when you're here. And he goes, and it broke my heart. He goes, Mom, um, our relationship just isn't like that. And I was like, oh, and I thought to myself, I have two choices here. I could either be like, OK, well, whatever you think. Or I could figure out a way to not like force it, but just have a conversation. So I said, well, Henry, you may not think that your relationship is like that, but your brother thinks your relationship is like that. And you you know, mean the world to him like he's been sleeping in your bed the whole time since you've been gone and he has been wearing your clothes. And maybe you don't know that because I did all the laundry before you came back. But like all the neatly folded T-shirts in your drawer are neatly folded because Teddy was wearing them because he really misses you. And, you know, you have some errands to do on Saturday. Why don't you just like take him to breakfast or something? And Henry was like, oh, that's really yeah, that'll that'll work. That'll be fine. Because I you know wasn't suggesting that he take away from his, you know, teenage time. So they went to breakfast together Um, that Saturday morning. I had gone for a walk with some friends. I was worried that Henry would either 
um, like forget or just blow his brother off or just sleep in or something. So I texted Henry at like nine o'clock and I'm like, don't forget you have breakfast date with your brother. And he's like, mom, we're already in line at the restaurant. So he had already picked him up. They had gone to the town that we live next to. They were in line. They were at breakfast together for three hours and they came back and Henry was like, that was the best time I had all week doing anything that I did this week. He just like they talked. They talked about school. They caught up on gossip. He sort of asked his brother to tell him all about his Dungeons and Dragons situation. Uh, he was telling Teddy all these like anecdotes about DC. And they just like really, really hit it off in a weird way, which sounds weird because they're brothers and they've known each other forever. But it was really the first time that Henry has come home from being away uh, that he's like has this independent life now where he doesn't see his brother all the time. And, you know, I sort of socially engineered this date between the two of them, but it just went so well. And um, Henry's attitude about Teddy was like totally different the rest of his time home. And it just made me feel really great. And I just feel like it was a lucky triumph because I do think my social engineering could have also failed spectacularly. Uh, But I think it's a lucky triumph that it worked out. And it made me certainly feel really good that at least my boys had this one little mandate together. This is a great triumph. It's wonderful. Great triumph. I, he he couldn't see it that that things had changed. That like when you go away and you're no longer like, you know, in the room next door and sort of too close together, and this guy is constantly around, and you wish he would go away. Um, but you you could tell that like, well, now things are different, and they need to establish a new kind of relationship. And you brought that about. I think that's that's a great triumph. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Very good. Carvel, what about you? Well, I have a fail that also was related to sibling connection, but it was the siblings connected against us. They mm. teamed up against us. We, um, I, uh, we for for Easter Sunday, we decided to all four of us go to brunch. So we we like went to brunch, and you know it was like they were hanging out in the morning. The morning was fine, and and everyone was kind of like in a halfway decent mood. And then we got to brunch, and we sat down just to eat at a restaurant, and. The kids just, I don't know what was going on with them that day, but they just like hated me and Joe. They just were like, they just were going full teenager on us. And they were just like, they kept taking turns telling us what terrible parents we were. And and then being like, well, I know you guys are like good parents, but we just hate it when you do this. And we hate it when you do that. And we hate this about you guys. And you guys think that you're such good parents, but you're not. And it just was like, Joe and I, like, we're just like so irritated. It just started off kind of being lighthearted, but then it just, Joe and I just got so mad. And we didn't like, obviously we're not going to like fight with teenagers about whether or not we're good parents. That's not a thing you can fight with teenagers about. But it was just one of those moments where the two of us kept exchanging looks at each other and being like, what did we are these ours? Like, why, why, why do we have these people in our lives taking our money and telling us how terrible we are? And, uh, and then the worst part about it or the best part about it was that then like we left and they were complaining about the place we went and how they didn't like the food. And they were complaining while I was like taking money out of my wallet to pay for it, which like really bothered me. Like I was just really triggered by that. And I wanted to just light into them and be like, you ungrateful little bastards, blah, 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 blah. When you grow up, you'll see, you know, but I'm like, that's not, that's not really, that doesn't really work. I mean, you know, that's not a thing. 
So Joe and I just kept it together. We exchanged a few looks. At one point, we both got up and we're like, we need to go to the bathroom. And then we walked. And Ezra was like, don't talk about us while we're gone. And, and like on our way to the bathroom, we just looked at each other. And Joe was like, sorry about the kids. I was like, me too. And then we went our separate ways. And then, the, but the worst part about it was that after it was over, literally like minutes later, everyone was, the kids were in a really good mood. We spent the like the rest of the day, they were like laughing and gregarious. And so it's like, just fucking teenagers, man. Like, they can be so bad because it's like the nearest way I can understand it. And I, I don't know if I did this when I was a teenager. I feel like I must have. Is that they have just learned how to do um, complex emotional things in relationships. They've just learned how to truly guilt people. They've just learned how to, like, put together, like, sentences and, and make and read other people's character defects to their face and the power of that. And they don't, it's like they have a new power, which is to talk like a grown up, but they have no idea how to responsibly or helpfully wield it. And mm -hmm. so you get these moments where they're just like bombarding you with all this personal stuff. And you sort of like, on the one hand, know that they don't really know the true impact of what they're saying. But on the other hand, there is a true impact of what they're saying. And it's incredibly frustrating. And uh, I mean, is it a failure? I don't know. I mean, certainly like, Anytime the kids behave in any way that is, like, not to our liking, Joe and I both feel like, oh, this is our fault. We taught them to be this way. We should have been better when they were younger. We should have done this way. We really, you know, it feels that way. I don't know if that's true, but that's just a part of it. But then in, in reflecting back on it, especially how quickly it disappeared and seemed to have no real impact on how they interacted with us, it just felt like this is why people hate teenagers. Like I'm like, I'm well aware of why people like teenagers because they are fun and great. And the conversations are awesome. And it's just so wonderful to see the people that you love developing into these adults and, and understanding that they're like going to go out into the world and, and do good stuff. Cause you can see the evidence of that. And that's extremely satisfying. But then there's this other side of teenagers where they're just, they're just malformed, unbaked, blobs <laughs> that just goes around wreaking havoc with no real understanding of consequences and it can be a little frustrating so that was I, that was how we spent at least a portion of our easter sunday i have a follow-up question for you does yes. this kind of thing happen where they band together and give you guys a hard time more when the two of you are together with them than when it's just yes. one of you with them yeah that's that's a really good point actually they both brought this up um that was one of the many things that they they Yes. So they do it sometimes when we're alone. And I and I, I don't, I sort of, I mean, it's annoying to me when they band together against me. But I also, the part of me that, she, Joe and I never had siblings growing up. So mm -hmm. we're just amazed by everything in the sibling dynamic. We find the whole thing endlessly fascinating. We find it weird how they can be like, absolutely hate each other one minute and then be like on the same team and like ride or die together the next minute. It's really weird to us and we think it's cool. But yes, they, they band together against us a little bit separately, but when we're together, they really, they, they do it more often. And mm. it really does feel like the two of us versus the two of them. And like, I know that they have, I mean, Georgia doesn't say this much, but Ezra says this a lot. He has a lot of resentment about the divorce. Like he just, he really does. Like, it's not, it's like, he doesn't bring it up all the time, but you know, he still brings it up as something that we did to him. And um, so I think that that I think that seeing us together does on some level trigger like an opportunity for them to like vent their frustrations about yeah. 
bigger stuff about the history of our family. I think so, too. I mean, that's what I was going to say is that, like, you know, not to get too, like, philosophical about this, but my sisters and I, we're all adults. We, The three of us don't have much in common. The one thing the three of us have in common is our feelings about our parents and, like, 75% <laughs> of our interactions. Honestly, like, if we all had great relationships with our parents, like, we probably would never talk. But our parents are really <laughs> difficult. And it's, like, the thing mm. that we it's, – it, it's, it's our commonality, right? And um, that, that's what I think is going on. I think that they are working out their feelings about it. And it's probably disorienting to them in some way uh, to see you guys together, you know, in the – in a situation that looks like an intact family, it, it, it could be yeah. disorienting and it could be sort of subliminally triggering. But um, it's nice that they're doing it together, though. I mean, at least they're on the same team. <laughs> <laughs> they're definitely doing it together. And like, I mean, it's like, I mean, one of our it's one of our sweet. great. One of me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just work teamwork. Um, one of our great uh, parenting like maxims is don't take the bait. You know, that's one of the feelings we have. And that's that's that was less applicable when they were in the single digits, but definitely as teenagers. Teenagers throw out a lot of bait. They really do. They, they, and so like you can't. It, so like it's. I think. I think that if there's any good side, it's that we didn't take the bait. Like we didn't get into it with them and like try to set them straight and and you know tell them a thing or two and tell them they had another thing coming and so on, so forth. It was unnecessary because um, I've also found that with teenagers, like um, expressions of absolute power <laughs> that. Or, you know, have to do with parenting. Like, well, listen, I'm in charge and I'm the one who pays for everything. So you need to blah, blah. that stuff. At least with our kids, it doesn't really work in the way that we think would like to think it works. It just creates resentment and frustration. And I, I'm really, especially Ezra, who's been really vocal about this. I'm really sensitive to his feeling of powerlessness that he has in his life. It's a terrible age, 15. You feel like you can do all this stuff, and yet everyone's controlling everything around you. And he's expressed that a bunch of times because he's really good at saying what his feelings are. And he feels like he's in this world where everyone is making him do stuff. They make me go to school. The teachers make me do this. You make me do this. Everyone makes me do stuff. Well, I don't, you know, I don't like that. And it's like, he's like aware. He's like, I, I know I can't be on my own, but ah, uh, it just is so frustrating. And so I get that. I relate to that. And I, and I, that's a hard thing. And it's going to be over a lot quicker than he thinks. And He's going to wish one day that there were people taking care of him. But um, that's also not useful information for him because he can't conceive of that. So really, our, our main goal is just like, don't don't get into it with them. You know, they have their frustrations. You know, they're they're allowed to say them. And how do we keep it moving as a family? And, and we were able to do that because, like I said, like left definitely like a half an hour later, it was like none of that had ever happened from them. But Joe and I were like still clutching our chests like, ow, we've been roasted so badly. What is happening? And the kids were gone on to the next thing. So I don't know. <sighs> All right. Um, I had a I had a classic fail uh, um, last week. It was spring break. The kids were off school, and it's you know, Tally and I were working. Like it's not, it's not like okay, now we all go away on a vacation somewhere. So um, they're like at home, and we're going to work and juggling the childcare arrangements, and we're, it's just not a great time for for any of us. And by the end of it, like the kids 
are all cooped up. They've like been in the house much of the time. They've had some play dates, but they're used to like going to school and seeing a million people and having a bunch of things happen. And they're very like, at first they get some rest and it's great. And then by the end, they're just like bouncing off the walls a little bit. So we're super glad because like time to go back to school and, and they're excited about it and we're excited about it and everybody's excited about it. And it's Monday morning. And um, for those of you who are in the, the New York metro area, uh, you may remember Monday morning, there was this weird anomalous slush storm like for mm-hmm. about three hours between seven and ten or whatever the, there was like literal slush falling from the sky and landing in giant cold puddles just for the Monday morning commute um, in in one of those freakish weather events that we have now um, but I was not going to let that get me down I was still you know we're gonna do our morning routine I'm gonna give the kids breakfast I'm gonna fix them lunch we're gonna get them out the door and then I'm gonna take them on the bus. We're all going to put on our boots and we put on our boots and we put on our coats. And it is like, it's not fun snow. It's like disgusting snow, but, but I like, I keep the energy up and I get them to the bus stop. And aren't you excited about seeing your friends at school? And I wonder what you're going to do in class and like that. And we wait for the bus. It's freezing cold, but the bus is going to be here soon. And then the bus comes and we ride the bus and it's like, oh, we're back on the bus with everybody going to school and we get to school. Um, and we get off the bus stop and we fight our way through the slush puddles and like there we are and I in my head like when we get to the school and I get them into their classrooms and then it's done and we've made it through spring break and we get to the door of the school and uh, the door of the school is locked and it turns out that spring break went on until Tuesday. <gasps> Whoa. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> So <laughs> could have checked the calendar one more time. Who expects spring break to go through the weekend and then Monday and then school to begin again on Tuesday? It doesn't make any sense as a bit of scheduling. Maybe there was some sort of teacher development thing. I don't know. All I know is then we got to keep the energy up some more and get them home. And then we're having hot chocolate. And then I'm trying to figure out some activities for them to do while I like call into all of the meetings that I had scheduled for that day. <laughs> Um, so, you know, whatever, it was fine, but it's not one of those days that makes you feel like you're really killing it on the parenting front. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it happens. What can you do? I mean, yeah, what can you do? It happens. I remember when Eliza finished her first year of school and I successfully picked her up on the last day of the first year of school. And I remember walking to the school and thinking, if I get there and pick her up, when I get there and pick her up, I will have made it every single day that I was supposed to pick her up from school. I won't have forgotten to pick her up from school even once. And I remember just feeling great about that. Um, I still have, have, have only, only once, I think, failed to do a pickup. And I talked about it on this show. But um, this was a botched drop-off, the rarely seen botched drop-off. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Okay, before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have a question that you would like us to answer, you can leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or send us an email at momanddad at slate.com. 
You should be in our new Facebook group by now. The old mom and dad are fighting page is now defunct and the Slate Parenting group is alive and much more active. Go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. On Slate Plus today, uh, we're going to talk about the past weekend when it was Easter and Passover. We're going to discuss how we celebrated with our families and how we handle those holidays. To hear that segment and another like it every week, uh, join Slate Plus. Just $35 for your first year. In exchange, you get extended ad-free versions of every episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate podcasts, and you help support the show. So to help us make the show and to get those extra segments, go to slate.com slash mom. Mom and Dad Plus, and join Slate Plus today. Okay, back to the show. Our first question is from a listener in Australia. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. I live in Sydney, Australia, with my husband and three kids aged six, three, and two. My older children are my biological children, and my youngest child joined our family through fostering when she was two months old. She will be with us for the long term, and we no longer see her as a foster child. She is an equal and adored member of our family. My two older children look quite similar, whereas my younger daughter looks quite different to them. Their skin is a different color, and their features and hair color are different. My concern is that this leads to a lot of questions from random strangers, acquaintances, and new friends about why my youngest child looks so different from her siblings. I have been very surprised how frequently it comes up, like weekly, and sometimes more. So far, I've taken the approach that if I am unlikely to see the person again, I will just give a vague answer and change the subject. However, if it's someone I will interact with regularly, I say that our daughter joined our family through fostering, but this always leads to a lot more questions. I'm becoming really concerned about the impact these questions will have on my daughter. I'm worried that the constant explanations will make her feel isolated or less valued. I know my daughter is still young, so probably doesn't notice it yet, but she is already very perceptive for her age, and there's no sign that the questions will stop as she grows older. My question is this, how should I respond to these questions? Sometimes I get so fed up I'm rude, because I shouldn't be expected to explain my family to everyone, but how do I answer when it is someone that I want to build a positive, ongoing relationship with? Am I making too big a deal out of it? How do I respond with my daughter's best interests at heart? Thanks, Mum in Australia. So, you know, I hinted earlier in the podcast about um, my difficult relationship with my parents. And one of the things that uh, my mom and I very often don't see eye to eye on is that she is the person who would approach this mom and ask her a really embarrassing question about, you know, her daughter and why she looks different. And, uh, you know, she just has this inability to not say you know, the thing that's just like right behind her. And so the way that I always handle it with my mom when she asks me a question about one of my friends, like very often she won't do it directly. Like she'll say it to me like, so tell me about your friend's daughter. And my response is always, why are you asking? And like, that's my standard response whenever anybody asks me a question about one of my kids that I feel is rude uh, or insensitive or puts me in a situation where I have to give them information that it's none of their damn business to have. Um, So that's my standard stock answer. My sort of deflecting answer is the the why do you ask or why do you, you know, I'm curious as to why you would ask that or why are you asking? Uh, Keep it simple. But I do think it's important to talk to your daughter about this and be transparent because um, even if you do, do come up with like a really smart uh, deflection, even if you come off, come up with a way of, you know, sort of being funny about it or being gracious about it or whatever tactic you come up with. Um, sometimes it's going to happen when you're not around, A. And B, other times you're just not going to be in the mood uh, to, you know, be funny or be snarky or be gracious or, or be whatever it is you usually are in these situations. And so 
I agree that this could be an issue for your daughter, that she could wonder why people always feel the need to ask this question. I think you should talk to her about it. I know she's really young, and I think you can frame it relatively positively at this point and say, you know, just so you know, when people ask questions, it's not because you're different. It's not because remember our family. It's because they are curious. It's because when people see something that doesn't look the way they expect or that feels differently than they expect, you know, the the natural instinct is to ask questions. You know, we try to be polite, but it's obviously something that, you know, is something people are going to do. I don't know. Frame it for her in a way that's that's simple and transparent, because the one thing I would try to do in this situation is get a little bit ahead of this pattern that this mom is already starting to notice. And I think one of the ways you can get ahead of it and come up with tactics together to work on it and work through it is to just throw it out there. People are curious. Um, You know, try to be optimistic about the, in my opinion, really insensitive and ridiculous questions that you're being asked in public about your family. I, It's just so hard for me. I'll just say it's just so hard for me to imagine walking up to a family and asking this kind of question. It's just really, really difficult. And I find it super offensive. Um, but if it were me and I were in your shoes, I would probably try to put a slightly more positive spin on it when talking about it with my own kids. I mean, it certainly seems true that you're not going to be able to to keep your daughter from finding out that other people are curious about your family when they see your family uh, and that other people are sometimes uh, express their curiosity in rude ways or in ways that aren't appropriate. Um, and it, it, it seems like the letter writer is very invested in making the daughter feel like a completely natural and um, 100% integral member of the family, which is obviously wonderful and the correct way to treat the daughter. But that doesn't mean that the world is always going to treat your daughter in the same way that you would want to treat your daughter. And it doesn't mean that the world is going to see your family in the way that you see your family and in the way that you want your daughter to see your family. Uh, And and I think Rebecca's right that you have to address that with her because otherwise she's going to see it and and she's not going to have any help in in figuring out and understanding. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's there's so it's all different. The, The actual technical response that you give to a question like this is is different based on how the person approaches you, what question they ask, how they ask the question, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, I don't think anyone, I don't think the letter writer owes anyone an explanation beyond she's my daughter. Mm. And um, I think if people have questions about that, (laughs) they're just going to have to have those questions. And I and they people may get offended by that, and they may not like having it expl- not explained to them what they would like to be explained to them. But I don't. I personally don't think it's healthy, personally or emotionally, for you as a parent, and ultimately for your daughter, which I'll get to, to feel the need to ameliorate every person's concerns and confusion about the fact that your daughter's skin color is different. Um, Now, this is, it's like when we say, I mean, yes, do you have to address this with your daughter? Obviously, but it's not as simple as this question of how strangers ask. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing about growing up in a family like this. Um, It's a whole thing about growing up in a world like this that is going to be addressed endlessly over a long period of time. And um, so I think that 
one of the things that is probably most valuable for your daughter. And like, there's a lot of stuff that you do. You talk to them over time. You, you, um, you, you point out um, the ways in which people's behavior is people treat people differently because of the color of their skin and how wrong and unfair that is. And you are really disciplined with yourself about catching the ways in which you do that yourself as a parent. And the reason that's so important is because talking to someone is one set of things saying, Oh, we love you just like we love everyone else. And you're part of us. That's one thing. But kids, my experience is that kids learn a lot more from action than from words. Words are sort of like, you know, 20% and then action is like the other 80%. I think that, um, if you, are clear and unwavering on this is my daughter end of story that actually communicates a lot more to your kid than watching than for her to watch you try and explain to people why she's different and that she's different because the takeaway Mm -hmm. from that from her perspective is that she's different and that you see her as different and you feel the need to apologize and address that difference in the world and even if your intentions are good the impact of that on your child is 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 a net negative in my experience. Um, so I think that I think that it's actually there's actually a value in resisting the temptation to try and put everyone at ease because it makes her feel like her skin color is a problem that needs to be addressed. That you need to address it. That strangers need to address it. So that's that's I think the thing about dealing with it with other people. But I think personally, as a parent, you're you're really in for a a, a long lifetime commitment to in terms of the way that you address the existence of racism and we could do whole episodes in that everyone can do whole episodes in that um i'm sure there are groups and facebook groups and and support groups that are about this but the main thing i would say is that um it really does come down to your own behavior i think a lot of parents adopt children i think a lot of white parents adopt children of color and are under the impression that because they've adopted a child of color and sort of like brought them into their house and fed them and taken care of them, that they are now absolved of all responsibility in terms of they basically proven that they're not racist. And so that's enough. But I don't think that's I think that's rarely the case. I've seen and observed <laughs> among friends of mine, like horrible behavior on the part of white parents who have adopted children of color. Um, and it's and there sometimes the justification is well I love you so clearly I'm not racist but I think that by adopting by choosing to raise a child of color in your house you are um, for the sake of that child at the very least if not for the sake of the world and the other people that you share it with you're now signing up for a lifetime of working on yourself and ferreting out and and unpacking your own. Um, assumptions around race, which if you grow up in the world, you have, there's no not having them, you have them. And I think that being committed to that work as a primary strategy for raising your daughter in an environment that's healthy, I think that's the most important thing. I think that's a lot of, um, a lot of things you said there really are making me think about this. And some of the things that you said also make me think about the way I feel about uh, girls and not obligating your daughters uh, to your sons too, but I think right now the conversation about women, you know, makes this really important with girls. To they're not obligated to 
make other people feel at ease to make other just to, to just to make it easier you know what i mean so yeah. i think you're right you've you've definitely uh changed my <laughs> point of view on this because <laughs> you know it's i think it's relatable in a, in a variety of situations you know it's just i i guess it's like what makes it so hard, and this is the thing that I think it's really, really hard for people who aren't uh, black or who aren't a person of color to understand, is that you can do everything like to like the the best standard, the, the most righteous standard, the most you know just standard, and the assholes just never stop coming at you. You know, they just never stop. It never, ever, ever stops. And I could just imagine that. You know, it's exhausting, and and it, and I think it is something that I think that you know parents of kids need to think about too. In a way, I, I don't know. I, I a lot of insight there, right? Well, I think I also think that getting the assholes to stop is not the end game. I think yeah. sometimes we tend to focus on wanting to change other people's behavior, but the the, the goal here is to raise your daughter in a way that is healthy for her. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the first priority, and getting people to stop, getting the world to stop being full of assholes is like a secondary <laughs> priority. And it's kind of like out of your hands, actually. I don't think that's something that you really have the power to do. Um, you know, you can do your part, but I don't think, you know, but I think the first priority is 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 supporting your daughter. And that and that that comes from a sense of protection. I mean, children need to feel protected by their parents. They need to feel that their parents have their best interests at heart and, and that that's and that nothing interferes with that. And at the we know that all generally, but I think on specific levels. Like, I'm learning that every day. I mean, like, when I – look, whenever anyone – like, to go back to what happened on Easter Sunday, whenever my kids criticize me, even if I think their criticisms are ridiculous and based in just teenage absurdity, I still – the first thing I'm like, okay, well, what what actual part of this does relate to me? Like, what it, what is my part in this? Like, how – you know, and I think one of the things I'm, like, constantly learning about, about raising my kids is that – the ways in which I prioritize my own work over their care and protection, even even if like the work is about them, I'm like trying to get them to do the homework or I'm trying to get them to like take out the trash. Or I'm trying to teach them a lesson. Even in those ways, like I'm not like an absentee father, but I not I know that that that's what they notice and resent, even if they can't find the right words to say it or the right issue to pin it on. They feel when I do that. They feel when I'm when I become self-serving and self-centered because of an insecurity, a doubt, or a fear that is triggered in me by something that they're doing or someone in the world is doing in relationship to them, and that I'm acting out of that place, and that that I'm acting out of that place first before I act out of the place of care and love and protection for them. And I think that we do that a lot as parents. And it's not that's not like a cardinal sin or anything, but I do think that that's one of the things that we do, and I think that we're constantly working to get better at not doing that. I know Joe and I are, and I, in the letters I read from parents, I feel like that's what a lot of people are working at. And so, in this case, the care and protection of the daughter is the first priority. That daughter needs to feel that that, that you have her back with all strangers, with all people, the well-meaning, the not well-meaning, the people who seem like they're just asking because they're curious and but they're cool, and the people who seem like they're asking because they have some kind of thing up their ass about it. She senses the vibe and all that, even if she doesn't understand the words, and so she senses your response to that. And if you cater and kowtow to those people because of your own insecurity and your own fear and your own doubt about raising a child of color, she feels that, and she feels isolated and not protected by you on some subtle level. She may never be able to articulate that until she's like 25 but that's there and so that's why i think you know so much of parenting and life in general is about 
taking competing important things and putting them in order of importance. This is the most important thing. This I would also like this other thing, but that's the second most important thing. And the most important thing is care and protection of your daughter. And for that, she has to feel that you are completely unwavering on every aspect of her presence in your family. All right. Thanks a lot for your question. Um, good luck and, and let us know how it goes for you. As always, uh, this conversation is going to continue uh, on our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Slate Parenting. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time to take another question. Uh, this one is from Kari in Ithaca. If you've got a question for us, uh, email us at momanddad at slate.com or give us a call at 424-255-7833. Dear mom and dad are fighting. Here's my dilemma. The undercut hairstyle popularized in recent years by the likes of David Beckham and Rihanna has traveled far and wide beyond its hipster origins. Now my nine-year-old son wants an undercut, and I'm concerned that it references Hitler Youth, which is not so off-base considering modern-day neo-Nazis slash white supremacists have co-opted the look in part because of its popularity. We encourage our children to make choices for themselves, but I'm not sure how to communicate my concerns, including the historical context, or if I'm projecting too much onto a hairstyle that may only be around for a season, if that. Thanks, Kari. Okay, now I want to say I have some personal experience here because <laughs> I, to hear that. I recently got a haircut. I As a fascist. I recently got a haircut. <laughs> Are we going to hear about your Hitler mustache now? I, 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 I recently got a haircut from my same hair cutter that I've been going to for a long time and, and this time she just went like marginally shorter on the sides and the back. Like it wasn't that different from my regular haircut. But when I arrived at work the first day I had this haircut, um, a couple of my friends here at Slate Magazine, I'm not going to mention any names, uh, did suggest that my haircut made me look a bit like a fascist. And first of all, I, I want to specify and clarify that I have no truck with fascism. And as a Jew, I consider myself a sworn enemy of fascists everywhere. Uh, but second of all... Um, the way in which the alt-right and the, the you know, contemporary neo-Nazi movement has moved to co-opt ordinary parts of life, like this is a known tactic, right? Richard Spencer, the alt-right guy, says in an interview that he loves Depeche Mode and he considers the British electro-pop band of the 80s Depeche Mode to be like one of the great alt-right bands and that everybody in the alt-right is big into Depeche Mode. And then Depeche Mode have to make a statement saying, what the fuck are you talking about? We hate you and everything you stand for. And then there are lots of articles about like Depeche Mode disowns Richard Spencer, which is just what Richard Spencer wants because he wants to get his name in the paper next to various random things. They did the same thing with Milk. They had a whole thing about how milk is the drink of the white race or something horrible like that and now it's hard now we have to feel ambivalent about drinking milk a perfectly good drink although as a jew i have a few problems with the digestion of milk but that's not a political thing that's a biological thing and i can drink lactose free milk which has a special enzyme that i as a jew don't necessarily have in any case my point is it's they make it they deliberately are making it difficult for your son to have this cool haircut that he's seen on his heroes such as David Beckham and Rihanna because um, they have co-opted this haircut and 
and and as a guy who once got a haircut that was too short, then I I feel his pain and frustration. But if you're worried that he's going to look like a fascist, I do think it's legitimate for you to say, no, you can't have that haircut because you will look too much like a fascist. What do you guys think? All right. I agree with everything you said up until that final part. This is, you know... Aren't you on some level uh, like letting the fascists win if you take away the David Beckham from your nine-year-old son? I'm making a strategic concession to the fascists. (laughs) I'm I'm giving them this haircut in the hope that we can hold the line on other things. Like, Are we no longer going to allow our uh, nine-year-old sons to wear polo shirts and khaki pants and all of the other super mainstream things that the uh, self-proclaimed young Nazis of America have adopted as their look of choice? I mean, it's not possible because the next thing they'll adopt is the thing that you tell him he can do instead of the haircut. I would say if he were 15 or 16 and you were worried about the culture that he was steeped in in high school and some some of the kids were doing there. And if you're worried about what he's consuming in the media and maybe perhaps potentially being influenced uh, by these jackholes, I would be more concerned. I would just say, hey, I have concerns about this haircut. Kind of makes it look like one of those Nazis from the Charlottesville rally. But at nine, I don't think anyone's going to think her son is a fascist. I just don't. And it is a haircut and it's a boy and it's partially shaved. And that means it literally will last exactly two to three weeks. And then you can either move on or not. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I get where you're going, Gabe, with a strategic concession. But I say let him have the haircut. Yeah, this is really interesting. I mean, first of all, if you have a nine-year-old that's wanting to wear khakis, you have bigger problems. <laughs> um, that's, your whole family needs help. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, 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 I tend to agree with Rebecca on this. Um, I have never – I mean, the, the undercut haircut has been around longer it has in its in its in its recent re, re revisioning has been around longer than the kind of public uh, branding of the alt right fascist types who have really emerged as a brand in the last like two years or so. And the undercut thing has been going on at least when I is yeah has been going on for like seemingly at least ten years or so. Um, so I, when I see someone with that haircut, I don't necessarily immediately presume that they are expressing sympathy with the fascist alt-right. And I, that's even adults. I mean, I, you, I, I'm aware that I never know, but that's not my first presumption as a result of the haircut. So I, I don't think that a nine-year-old pot, like probably, um, immediately triggers that response in everyone. What I think is happening, and this is me trying to read between the lines here, so maybe I'm way off base. What I think is happening is that this letter writer is raising um, a young white man, like soon to be man, growing into a man, and is beginning to experience some discomfort with that and is having a hard time. Like you look at your son and you realize, wait a second, he's like, he is now turning, He like he's growing into this demographic that I actually have a lot of questions and concerns about, legitimate questions and concerns. And I think that there's a discomfort around that, which I think is justified but should be handled wisely um, so that you don't run away with it. And uh, and I think that that's what – I think the worry isn't that other people will think that he's a fascist. If I, if I had to speculate, I think the worry is that this is what it reminds the mother of when she sees this haircut and – 
and that that's really uncomfortable for her, which is understandable. So I, I think that the solution here has to do with addressing the your own discomfort around the larger issue which is that you are raising a white man in 2018 world and what does that mean and how do you do that properly i think the haircut is a little bit of a red herring because it's going to change and grow out of fashion and it's going to grow out etc i know that definitely we experienced some of this uh again just with ezra like just ways in which our sweet little boy was turning into like a dude like a bro and the discomfort that we have with that. I remember when him and his friends started wearing like, you know, a, like a, a certain baseball cap in a certain way that like we associated with like douchey dudes, like around fourth grade, fifth grade is when they start trying on this stuff. And it just, I remember that feeling of discomfort, like, yeah, is that what you're <laughs> turning into? <laughs> like, I don't want you to look like that guy. You know what I mean? And like, that's our own stuff. They weren't actually turning into that guy, but you know, they were nine, and so their ability to distinguish between someone that, like, sort of looks like someone cool that you see on the internet and on TV versus someone who actually is cool, their ability to distinguish between those two things is is very limited at that age. And so they're going to try on stuff, and they're going to try on other stuff and other stuff. By the time this kid is 15, he's going to have some other haircut, and by the time he's, you know, 12, he's going to have some other haircut. So I wouldn't – I mean, if – I would try to talk him out of this, but I wouldn't place my like the future of like a, America's politics on whether or not this nine year old gets a haircut. If I was unable to talk <laughs> him out of it, then I probably would just let it go and move on to bigger issues around that are really about the same thing, but much more salient. All right, I'm going to propose a, a compromise solution, which which hopefully would address both the letter writer's concern about how her son's going to be perceived, and also what Carvel points out about her own maybe uh, ambivalence about about the man that uh, she's watching her son grow up into. Um, and that's that he can get the fascist haircut if he also gets an Antifa tattoo. So on, oh, the, on, on the back of his neck, <laughs> on the back of his neck, he can get tattooed either Antifa or like kill all Nazis or something like that. Uh, and then everyone will know, oh, this is obviously not a, a Nazi, this haircut. It's just it's a David Beckham or Rihanna style haircut. Uh, and his politics are in the right place. Um Ugh. <laughs> I was so, like, you guys are killing me. You're killing me, Gabe. I mean, you know, there's also this thing right now where like white supremacists are like embracing Thor saying like he's their hero. Like that's a whole thing that's happening. Right. So like you're going to have your nine year old like not wear a Aven Avengers t-shirt or whatever because it has a Thor. I mean, at some point you have to say like, no, this hair does not actually belong to them. They're just using it. And let's, you know. It, it, it's it's a haircut that anybody's allowed to have. It doesn't mean you're a Nazi. I don't think anybody, and I, I kind of agree with Carvel that I think there are other questions being raised here. Like, I don't want my kid to grow up to be uh, a fascist or, you know, it's just why I always used to overreact when my, like, when the boys were super little and they would say something that I perceived as, like, sexist. I would, like, freak out to a degree that was probably completely inappropriate um, because I was yeah. like, I don't want them to grow up to be <laughs> sexist. I do think that's where this is coming from. But I, I, I uh, let the kid get the haircut. Just All let right. him do it. What if when the kid, <laughs> when the kid is 16 and yeah. he, he gets deeply into uh, silent movies, he, gets, he becomes yeah. a fan of vintage cinema and he, <laughs> wants to get, he wants to get a Chaplin mustache. He wants to <laughs> no. get a mustache. There's a, that's a hard line. <laughs> he wants that's to a get a mustache line. to reflect yeah. his admiration for the great Charlie Chaplin, hero of silent That's a hard cinema. line. That's a hard no, that no. one. So, well, so well, you're giving not, up on the mustache. No, that's not, that's not a proper analogy and here's why. Because no one wears the freaking Hitler mustache ever at any point. So the only Except way for you for Michael Jordan it. for five minutes. Remember when he did that? 
Wait, which Michael? Oh, remember? Michael Jordan, not Michael B. Jordan, but Michael Jordan. <laughs> no, yeah. not Michael B. Right. Jordan. Not right. the. Wait, cool did he one. have a? He did. He no, did. His, his, his he didn't have a Hitler mustache. He just had a mustache oh, for like five for like right? five minutes. It wasn't a did. good mustache. It, it, <laughs> it wasn't a good. Like, was, no, he was, was not. It was too Hitler for comfort. <laughs> his face is not built for a mustache. Let's let's be honest. He, a, a stylist should have intervened. That was a failure on the part of his team. But All moving right. on. But so we're um, yes on I, the haircut, no on the mustache. Is the bottom line? Yeah, because the mustache doesn't have any other existence outside of Hitler, Charlie and Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin, yeah, who was 150 billion years old. So like that that's a, that's somewhat of a dated reference. We're skewing old with that reference, mm. and so. So, yes. um, but I think I think the undercut has a lot more is a lot more flexible as an existing thing. Again, it's not ideal. Like I want to I want to stress that. Like I, I understand the parents' dilemma. It's not ideal. I certainly would try to talk my kid out of it, and but I but I wouldn't. To me, that's not the hardest line to draw. All right. Um, thanks for your question. Let us know what you decide. If he gets the haircut, post a picture, and then everybody can pass judgment on uh, our Facebook group, <laughs> facebook.com slash uh, groups slash Slate Parenting. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing a picture of, of his uh, ambiguously fascist haircut. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now is the time on the show where we recommend things to you. Carvel, what are you going to recommend? I'm going to recommend a website called uh, Messy Nessie Chic, which mm. I, is a weird name. But uh, there's, I'm going to put the link on the Facebook page. There's a particular one that my, I showed my kids years ago, and they, they really liked it. The page is called The Great Brooklyn House Snooping of 1978. And it's just photographs of the inside of homes in Brooklyn in 1978. And there's something about just being able to see history and uh, all these objects and what the world, what real life looked like that year. Um, just in this one thing, you know, it's like, it's not like you could sort of do it anywhere. Could, if you have pictures from like, you know, Iowa City, Iowa in 1965, anything like that. But I, I don't know, maybe that's just because we're a family of nerds, but my kids have always loved um, this kind of history stuff. So this one link that uh, I just remembered has been saved on my like saved links for super long. Uh, it's called, it's from the website Messy Nessie Chic, which has a lot of really interesting curiosities and weird stuff on it. But this particular one is called The Great Brooklyn House Snooping of 1978. And it's just um, photograph after photograph of the inside of people's homes in Brooklyn in 1978. And it's just fascinating. That sounds great. Uh, I'm going to recommend uh, some comics. We had a thread going on the Facebook group where people were asking about a comic that I had gotten in trouble with before and another one that was recommended on the show. The, the recommended one was called Amulet. Um, but it, it made me realize that something I've never talked about on this show is a strip that uh, that Eliza really liked from when she was a little kid. And I used to read it to her and now she uh, reads it to herself. Uh, it's called Barnaby. It's by Crockett Johnson, who, who many of you will know as the author of Harold and the Purple Crayon and those books. But he did a newspaper comic strip called Barnaby about a little boy who has a fairy godfather, a sort of 
drunken Irish fairy whose magic powers kind of go in and out and who um, incompetently leads him on various thwarted adventures. Um, and it's a, it's a fun, charming strip for, for little kids and for grownups. Um, there are very fancy completist editions published by Fantagraphics, but there's a much cheaper one published by Dover, which you can find on Amazon and um, which is fun to read. And uh, I recommend it. Barnaby by Crockett Johnson. Rebecca, how about you? Mine is uh, wrapped in a mea culpa from last week and also a deal I made with my son, Teddy, who said, in exchange for giving this recommendation, I have to plug him on something, which is that, and I apologize, guys, if anybody listening has kids who play League of Legends and they want to, like, friend Teddy on League of Legends and maybe hear some gossip about Kevin and I and what our family is actually like, uh, you can send that friend request to Soul, S-O-L, with a capital S. That is his actual name is Soul with a capital S on League of Legends. Okay, my duty is done. So what I'm going to recommend, which is wrapped in a mea culpa last week, is I believe last week on the podcast I expressed some uh, disbelief and uh, lack of understanding about um, Dungeons & Dragons. And I just want to say... I am all in on this game now for my kid. He is yes. in this club at school, the D&D club, which is run by his English teacher, which I didn't really understand. Like, I mean, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the English teacher running the Dungeons and Dragons club. I shouldn't really get it until I discovered on our home printer this week Teddy's character sheets, which he has been writing for all the characters he is planning to play in the game. And he's basically writing these incredible narrative stories and developing these characters. I mean, there's definitely like a trope. I guess the characters you have to play, and Gabe sounds like you understand. The trope is like not an atypical one. It's like a, a, a person who was outcast from their village for some reason and then has the reason they were outcast also has to do with whatever powers they have. And, you know, it's sort of the hero's journey kind of like backstory you have to write. He has written some incredible incredible stories for these characters all original his use of punctuation is incredible and this isn't a skill i knew he had before reading these character uh character sheets or whatever they're called and i'm like now like super into him playing this game and i'm really supportive of it so if you have a kid who's expressing interest and you don't get it uh, and you think it's just like some way for like six boys to waste an entire saturday and you don't think it's a productive activity the writing I have seen come about as a result of this game with my two eyes. I, I saw this writing. Um, I, I just I'm all in. I'm all in with Dungeons and Dragons. Anything I can do to support this hobby, this game, this cause. I'm all in so much so that last night at dinner, Kevin and I listened to like 45 minutes of Teddy regaling us with some of his character backstories. And yeah, yeah. Did I think it was a little boring? Sure. But look, he's writing, he's sitting at the computer and doing something other than playing League of Legends or whatever. He's actually like, he wouldn't go to bed the other night. He's like, oh, I just to finish this paragraph. I've never heard Teddy say the words, I just need to finish this paragraph in his entire life. And this game is bringing him there. And it's really exciting for me. So sorry, Gabe. Uh, I apologize for what I said last week. And I'm now recommending that your kids play Dungeons and Dragons. This is great because it brings me one step closer to my goal of having us do an episode in which we just play a Dungeons and Dragons game for the entire episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's going to be the best episode. Wait, wait. So so he got you, wait, I just want to ask, I want to clarify something about your deal making here, Rebecca. He yeah. got you to plug his game and also plug his show? Well, no, I, mean, plug I basically- his, uh, Plug his League of Legends at? 
Well, basically what I said to him last night at dinner was like, he's telling us all about this character stuff. And I was like, this is amazing. I was telling him how amazed I was. And I was like, can I talk about this on the Mom and Dad are Fighting podcast and how you've really gotten into writing and all this stuff? He's like, yes, but only if you also ask people to friend me on League of Legends. (laughs) (laughs) So in the moment, I was was totally bamboozled. You were bamboozled. You can can only compliment me if you also plug my online persona. Exactly. But don't (laughs) believe the hype. I know I talk a lot about Teddy and his terrible grades, but he is a (laughs) genius at manipulating. He's a genius, period, but he's also like really good (laughs) with the the bamboozling. And uh, it's one of the things actually that I admire the most about him, frankly. (laughs) Nice. Well, if you're finished uh, horse trading um, free promotion in exchange for permission to <laughs> use material on the show, then uh, I think we're done for this week. If you have a question that you would like us to address, you can call us at 424-255-7833. Uh, you can let us know what you thought of the show on our extremely good and lively Facebook group. Go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. Our show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoy. I'm Gabriel Roth. We'll see you next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.